Hi, I'm Jeffrey Coolwater. I live in Canada, but I happen to be an abolitionist vegan. You can follow me on Twitter. Just do a search for at MacVegan. Now back to your host, coexisting with non-human animals. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Vegetarian. Vegan. Yeah, well. Let's get it right. You used the word animals, but I suppose what you should have said is non-human animals. Hello and welcome to episode 86 of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. Vegetators, vegan chefs, and two little boys. Your favourite show from the Invercargill Vegan Society. While I like the videos of hen friends I share on YouTube, I can't quite claim they're the best movies made by the Invercargill Vegan Society because a New Zealand movie featuring two Invercargill Vegan Society members has recently come out. Steve appears as an extra in a scene, and Natalie worked on editing the movie, credited as both behind-the-scenes crew and editorial trainee. Until my backyard videos of him sleeping on my knee significantly improve, New Zealand blockbuster movie Two Little Boys will likely remain the biggest and best movie Invsoc is partly, kinda, responsible for. Two little vegans, one on screen as an extra, another editing the movie. We're moving up in the world. The last big movie filmed in Invercargill, and on actual film, involved, to the best of my knowledge, no vegans at all. No vegans in the world's fastest Indian, but it did star Sir Anthony Hopkins, whose crowning achievement, Silence of the Lambs, made me go vegetarian in the first place. All that talk of, it puts the lotion on its skin, and killing humans to wear our skin. It's enough to make you go vegan. I've got a blog post about the Two Little Boys movie premiere on the show's blog, www.coexisting.co.nz. It's also in this episode's show notes. It's joined by a second post after I'd seen the movie of Steve, showing where some of the filming locations are, including the well-known monument which was literally a stone's throw away outside from the movie theatre where we were watching the movie. I took a couple photos of the movie screen from my seat in the theatre, cause you're allowed to do that, right? The HD video I started recording on my phone turned out crap. We were sitting in one of the front rows, so I'll have to go back a second time to get the whole movie, but don't worry, I'll have it up on BitTorrent soon enough. Until then, here's a three news report on the movie's opening. Two Little Boys stars Hamish Blake, an Australian comedian, and our very own Brett McKenzie, who you might best remember from Flight of the Concords on HBO a few years ago. The red carpet's been rolled out in Invercargill for the city's first big movie premiere in seven years. Seven whole years between having massive movies filmed in this tiny little city at the bottom of the world. Jeez, there are a bunch of slackers down there. Kiwi comedy Two Little Boys reunites director Robert Sarkis with his younger brother and writer Duncan. Dave Gooslink was at the premiere. Despite the stormy weather, Southlanders came out to party at tonight's premiere. There were plenty of mullets proudly on display, a tribute to the film's two best mates, played by Brett McKenzie and Hamish Blake. It warms my heart to see them rocking a perm and a mullet. Yeah, look at that. It's a lost hairstyle. 
Uh, well, no, it's found. We found it in Invercargill. Found it, everyone. You can call off the search. <laughs> Blake and Mackenzie got to channel their inner bogans for Two Little Boys, set in 1990s Southland. The film opens with Nige accidentally running over a hitchhiker. I've killed someone! After the two best mates botch the disposal of the body, they head off on a road trip to the Catlins, with Dino planning to get rid of suspicious flatmate Gav. He's a little bit alternative. He's a little bit like, uh, he likes being eco and he loves wildlife. <laughs> you know that story where that little girl rides a whale? Well, this is far more amazing because Gav is really fat and he was riding a really little dolphin. That was the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me in my life! And while the weather caused a few headaches during shooting, director Robert Sarkis says the South offered a great community spirit. You come down here and they closed State Highway 1 for three nights and stopped the clock. But Invercargill Mayor Tim Shadbolt denies suggestions he blackmailed Sarkis to score a cameo in the movie. Now that's not true. But if I'm not in it, you do seem to have a few problems closing roads and parks. And the guys sum up the dark Kiwi comedy as being like the southern cheese rolls they became a fan of during the shoot. Uh, it appears kind of warm and quite comforting, but um, in fact there's some onion powder in there that um, makes you get think twice. Two Little Boys opens nationwide next Thursday. So there I was at the movie premiere red carpet event and uh, it was a cold and wet night and I was there and as you'll hear soon I went there with a homemade sign and I wanted to take a photo with one of the stars of the movie, Brett McKenzie, Flight of the Concords guy. Um, and listening to the music as they piped in uh, for all the waiting crowds, I noticed a certain song, a Call in the Gang song, Jungle Boogie from that great movie Pulp Fiction. And um, there was also the Wellington International Ukulele Orchestra <laughs> who played songs on their, um, well, ukuleles. Yeah, I think I'll leave Jungle Bee playing in the background, not so much the ukulele music. I went to the red carpet event just to get a photo of Brett McKenzie with my homemade sign. You know, the things that Oscar winning celebrities like Brett McKenzie are socially obligated to pose with for fan photos. Yeah, those. I waited in the cold and the rain just to get a photo with a sign I'd spray painted a couple hours earlier. A rather cryptic message of Figwit Live. I think most of the reporters and other fans with Marry Me Brett slash Hamish thought I was some kind of religious zealot, that Figwit was some kind of Old Testament name for Jesus or something. 
So, who is Figwit, you ask? Why, only a cult fan favourite extra from Lord of the Rings, you know, the thing that keeps the New Zealand economy floating. Brett McKenzie is in the background at one of the album scenes. The whole, who will take the ring? You have my axe and my shotgun and my fully automatic assault rifle. That bit. His character is unnamed. Just an extra in the movie. But it became kind of popular. I'll let this ancient news report from way back in 2004 explain the Figwit phenomenon. Sounds like the video was recorded on VHS tape before it was uploaded to YouTube. Brett McKenzie played an elf in The Lord of the Rings, his appearance lasting all of three seconds. But he became such a cult figure that the blockbuster just wasn't enough. His celebrity spawned a documentary as well. Don't blink or you'll miss him. Brett McKenzie's brief appearance in The Fellowship of the Ring was noticed by Lord of the Rings fans with too much time on their hands. Now there are ten websites dedicated Damn. to the elf fans have named Figwit. So it stands for Frodo is great. Who is that? Type Figwit into any search engine and you'll find fan sites and even a couple of hate sites. It's basically Legolas fans, who's the, the main elf in the film, and um, they're jealous. Well, they're not jealous, they're like, they're uh, outraged that, that all this attention should go to an extra elf when the main attention should be going to Legolas. So they're trying to create an international celebration to get rid of me. The man behind the pout is comedian and musician Brett McKenzie. He's one half of the comedy folk duo Flight of the Concords. And the group even have an ode to the hit movie. You mean trilogy? Down, don't wear the ring. I know it's very tempting. Yes, you will appear to disappear. But the dark riders don't know you're there. Yeah, we wrote that song uh, a matter of days before uh, the Figwit site came to our attention anyway. But uh, there, we, we weren't trying to cash in on Figwit, but there has been positive spin-off. Last August, they took their show to the Edinburgh Festival. Word quickly spread via the internet chat rooms, and the duo found themselves entertaining Figwit fans from around the world. We have these large groups of Scottish fellowship um, people in the audience, and they came on, and then after the show, they want, they want me to sign little cards with Figwit, and they started getting Jermaine and to sign. And, um... Out of pity. <laughs> Wellington filmmaker Stan Alley is making a documentary on the Figwit phenomenon. He followed the pair to Edinburgh and then went to Israel to interview one of the website creators. You know, the Concord's going to Edinburgh and these people are coming from Israel and Germany and USA to, to meet him. So I thought, yeah, it'd be amazing if some, someone could go make a documentary. He's like, well, yeah, I've got a camera, I've got some money, I can go and do that. So I uh, booked my flight the next day and was on a plane a week later. Figwit's three seconds of fame is set to stay just that. Mackenzie doesn't appear in the following films. Well, I guess there's a chance, but if, maybe if they CG me, you know put me in the background using a computer, but uh, I don't think it's a uh, priority. But the spirit of Figwit will always live on in another dimension they call cyberspace. Clayton Anderson, 3 News. Brett McKenzie is going to make a cameo appearance in the Hobbit movies, apparently. They wrote in a, a special character just for him, just for the Figwit fans out there, like the ones in Invercargill who go along to movie premieres with Figwit Lives signs. I thought I'd keep the internet meme going, in real life. And if you look on the Figwit Wikipedia entry, you'll see the photo I took of actor Brett McKenzie with my crappy little Figwit Live sign. F-I-G-W-I-T. Figwit. 
right there on Wikipedia. I was pretty happy that it let me take a photo of him with my sign. I thought I'd aimed to get one thing right, the photo, and so didn't record any audio with him there on the red carpet. I held my sign, Figwit Lives, for about 20 minutes waiting for him to walk down the red carpet, and when he finally came past, I asked him, Can I take a photo of you with my sign? And he said, Of course, with a smile, because, you know, they're paid to do that. If he had had the time, I would have asked him to do a Flight of the Concords rap with me, right there on the red carpet. Imagine how irritating that would be for him. Some guy with a spray-painted sign. Oh, oh, Brett, Brett, I watch you on TV and stuff. And um, you, I saw you, like, get that Golden Man statue thing, the uh, Emmy. Oh, what? Oh, Oscar, Oscar, I knew that. You won an Oscar. That's right, that's right. Um, so, like, you be you, rapping your part from a 2007 Flight of the Concords episode. And I'll, like, I'll do Jermaine's part, okay? Okay, Brett? All right, Brett? Yeah, yeah, Brett? Okay, cool, cool, cool. The episode Mugged is about two naive New Zealanders being robbed while new to New York City. Their precious camera phone is even taken, albeit reluctantly. An actual film camera glued onto a crappy old cell phone. Camera phones were still something new back in 2007. And here I was at the movie premiere, five years later, taking a photo of Brett McKenzie using my iPhone. How technology changes. And as the New Yorkers rob and steal the precious film camera glued onto an old cell phone, the Flight of the Concords duo introduce themselves through the medium of rap to try and scare the would-be muggers away. It doesn't quite work, though. I'm the mother rhinoceros. My beats are fat and the birds are on my back and I'm horny. I'm horny. If you choose to proceed, you will indeed concede. Cause I hit you with my flow, the wild rhyme or stampede. I'm not just wild, I'm trained, domesticated. I was raised by a rapper and writer that dated and subsequently procreated. That's how it goes. Here's the hip-hop hippopotamus, the hip-hop hip They call me the hip-hop hippopotamus. My lyrics are bottomless. While Jermaine forgets his lines and they still for time, it's a good place to sample and copy that little clip and then repeat it now when I speak over him on the red carpet, you know, doing his part. So I'll jump in. They call me the Hippopopotamus, flows that glow like phosphorus, popping off the top of this esophagus, rocking this metropolis. I'm not a large water-dwelling mammal. Where did you get that preposterous hypothesis? Did Steve tell you that, perchance? Mmm, Steve. My rhymes and records, they don't get played Because my records and rhymes, they don't get made And if you rap like me, you don't get paid And if you roll like me, you don't get laid My rhymes are so potent that in this small segment I made all of the ladies in the area pregnant Yeah, sometimes my lyrics are sexist But you love me, not you know I'm trying to correct this and while it would have been cool to acapella rap on the red carpet with an Oscar winner for a best song, there was no way I could have remembered all that in my starstruck, tongue-tied condition. I would have looked like the Flight of the Concords character Mal, enough as it was, an obsessed fan. I didn't miss all my opportunities, though. The painted sign said, Figwit lives on one side, and Go Vegan on the other. I took turns with each side facing out, facing all the people walking down the red carpet. I didn't particularly flash the go vegan side at the rich woman walking down the red carpet and their animal furrows, or the tough looking men in their animal skin shoes and belts, but it was there. I've got a photo of some of the hired Norwegian tourists looking for their friend Jurgen, who was killed in the movie, with my sign. Now, as you guys know, I told them, being from Norway, right? Vegan is a small seaside town, up in the fjords of Norway, 
right? Yeah, of course, but you guys already knew that, being from Norway. They went along with it, and you can see the actors posing as overseas tourists, all covered in backpacks and with maps of Invercargill, and sleeping bags rolled up over their backs, and and yeah, they're all, hello, we're looking for our friend Jürgen, have you seen Jürgen? You can see them up on my blog with the vegan sign, coexisting.co.nz. So, what else has the Invercargill Vegan Society gotten up to since episode 85? Well, it's not all red carpet movie premiere sign photo taking and being an extra in the movie and editing the movie for our local vegan society. We also attend pub quizzes to raise money for young girls who need eye surgery. Steve and Kerry asked if we'd like to join a school quiz, fundraising for Ruby's operations. She had cancer in her eye and she had to have an eye removed, which is not very nice to happen when you're very young. Catherine and myself leapt at the chance to answer questions and to show off what we've learnt from book reading in her case and Wikipedia in mine. Did you know that Wikipedia has a lot of entries about Lord of the Rings extras? Well, it does now, even fan-made signs that the actors were coerced into posing with. That really should be a future pub quiz question. True or false? Does Wikipedia have lots of fan page entry things on extras in the Lord of the Rings movies? The quiz was held at the Glengarry Tavern, and the name we decided upon was The Vegetators. Next time I'll bribe the others to go with Invercargill Vegan Society, so the announcer has to read our animal rights organisation's name all the time, over the speaker system, free advertising. The Vegetators sounded cool though, especially when he placed emphasis on it during the reading of the team names. They've gone for rounds three and five on the wings of a prayer, which most of you will be tonight. Rounds five and six, something like that. Catherine, Jordan, Steve, Kerry, and their son Jess entered the fundraising quiz. And we absolutely kicked butt. A hit on points from the first or second round. There was a big projector screen showing an Excel spreadsheet of scores, and every now and then we'd check to see where we were, amazed that we were somehow winning, first out of 39 teams, a couple hundred people in the pub. Of course, you know, you know me with my crazy blog when I'm trying to hold back a cough, <coughs> when I'm recording. Of course, you know me, I was taking photos all the time of the big screen showing the vegetators and the pole position. And you can see those on my blog, coexisting.co.nz. There's a link in this episode's show notes. Here's the results of the last round, so you can see how the questions went. We got a few of these wrong. Rebecca and Chris Holt. Oh, I got that one wrong. It's my fault. Yeah. yeah. But we got this one. He was a president. She was a wannabe president. Bill Hillary. That's the cattle future. Two years that saw Liverpool win the European Cup. The All Blacks won a Grand Slam tour, and the new Pope elected. 1978 and 2005. We were off by what? What did you say? 74. It was 78. 2004, and that was. We were off by. Two countries are hosted the 2012, uh, 2002 FIFA World Cup. 
Japan and South Korea. Ooh. I didn't hear that question. I must have blanked out that whole thing. The two figures that are normally found in the Piotr sculpture are the Virgin Mary and Jesus Christ. And Joseph Sullivan, in part of the David We have a clear cut for our phone. 77 points, the vegetators. Second was Nippers. As we walked up to claim our prize, which included a painting donated by a local man, one of the sore losers noticed that I had my phone out, recording the audio clip. He's got an iPhone! Meaning that I've been looking up all the answers on our mate Wikipedia all night. Of course we hadn't, because if Catherine and Kerry had put aside their precious little ethics, we would have gotten all the damn answers right. Out here, and just Daryl Smith, the local guy here, offered a painting as well. So, one of Jess's teachers came up and congratulated him for being on the winning team and mentioned that it was a bit late at night for him. We're going to win. You can have the morning off tomorrow. You're going to be tired. Yeah, I know. Probably one or two. Yeah. I'm not sure if they did go along to see his, his art exhibition because it's a bit of a different painting. If you know Jackson Pollock, which is all the kind of uh, flicked paintbrushes at a, a blank canvas, sort of sprinkles of paint everywhere, this is kind of like finger painting, sort of like a hash sign, the number sign. Um, kind of sort of like finger painting but apparently Jess likes it it's lots of bright bold colours and kind of really crazy modern art a sort of finger painting but it was a it was a cool prize I guess <laughs> we really have to work together more often as an Invercargill vegan society because it was really fun being an all vegan quiz team we have to do it again because it could be quite lucrative going to these fundraising quizzes and winning paintings throughout the night there are a whole bunch of raffle prizes given out. Animal skin boxing gloves signed by a New Zealand boxer. Killed sooty shearwater birds. We kill the babies just before they learn to fly as adults. They live underground like rabbits when they're very young. In burrows, and we kill them as they start to come out. Mutton birds, they're called, as we've killed them. Sooty shearwater, which are beautiful, dark, albatross-looking birds when they're still alive. Skinned legs from baby lambs raffled away, salmon flesh, and non-vegan cheese. I would have loved to have made a winner's speech about how we Invercargill Vegan Society vegetators cleaned up, that we vegans would recommend that the raffle winners bury the bodies of the animals they won, and stick to the fruits and vegetables. I would have went into a drunken slurring rendition of... We are the champions, we are the champions, no time for losers, cause we are the champions of the school fundraising quiz. <laughs> One of the teachers would have had to pull me down off the stage, as the thrown beer bottles exploded in a rocket's red glare of beer. 
you jerk, no time for losers. We're running this fundraiser to help the parents of the little girl pay off an eye operation. She lost an eye to cancer. Now get the hell out of here and never enter our quiz again. Even without imagining such a shameful ending of rubbing our mighty victory in all the other 38 teams' faces and lecturing them on veganism, it was a pretty cool night for the Invercargill Vegan Society representatives. And the money raised went to a good cause, helping Ruby's family with her hospital care. But that's not the only cool night Invsoc has had in the last month, though. That would be both forgetting our manners and our fantastic potluck. So, okay, I'm recording. <laughs> Just as a warning. Um, so we're here at the September Invercargill Vegan Society potluck, and my voice sounds different because I've got a hell of a head cold, and we had someone else pull out because they got arth arthritis. What was it? No, asthma. That's the one. Because he's like, I don't know, five years old or something. So, yeah, arthritis. Um, and so I feel like I'm sounding like very white, but not quite as sexual. But... Hopefully it does something with my naturally high and whiny voice to be a little bit deeper on the register. And so here today we have, for the first time talking, we have my friend Steve and someone, they made a wonderful pecan pie, is that right? Yeah, well actually my name is James and the Giant Peach. <laughs> and I brought the pecan pie and inside it's like a poisonous substance but no one knows until they're going to Catherine, have you read that one? James and the Giant Peach? Yeah. Okay. Well there's like what? Grasshopper and there's the silkworm and the... I love that book. I, mean, <laughs> I made a movie. Well, it was an awesome pecan pie, and is this like the first time you guys made it? Uh, yeah, it was actually. Well, Amber made it. Who's so. Amber? I know. Uh, no, maybe she's not here. Maybe I'm just imagining it. <laughs> well, it worked great, and whoever Amber is here, she should be. <laughs> she could get a raise or something. And we have my friend Dan here. And Dan, how are you today? Good, thanks. You don't have a deeper voice from a head cold or something? Uh, oh, could. I'll just stay over here so you don't change. <laughs> um, what did you make today? I made a peanut butter and chocolate slice with biscuits and coconut. Is there a certain kind of biscuit that you use? Um, you can use any, just nice wine, whatever vegan ones. Hmm. Um, just a plain biscuit, crumbled up. And I bought some chia seeds, salty almond milk. Oh, okay. And does it have like magic powers? Chia seeds and almond milk? Or? Yep, yep. It makes you full for longer. <laughs> so um, it's really good for um, breakfast shakes and it's really good omega fats for vegetarians. Because ah, I remember our friend Susan Elias from Auckland. Hi Susan! Um, she was making this thing called Tiffin. Oh, oh I um, this thing called Tiffin, which is like a confectionery thing, and she needed a certain kind of biscuit, and we didn't like have it in Invercargill for some reason, but it's in Auckland. And uh, Catherine. Hi. Yeah, how are you? Good. What did you make today? Korma. Korma? Yes. Wasn't it aggressive? Like, what music? It was aggressive, to? Korma, yes. Offspring. Oh, what songs? Um, Killboy Powerhead, mostly. Oh, it sounds wonderful for a vegan <laughs> butt like class. Would you like to give a rendition of it? No. You sure? Yes. Okay, I'll just kind of internet piracy and I'll go to cover it. And um, I had a little bit and it didn't make me feel too aggressive, but... Wait a while. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> and Russell, what did you bring today? Um, I, I bought uh, a bean dip and I uh, today I cheated because uh, unfortunately <gasps> I had a time restriction and I uh, actually purchased some corn chips. Oh, you disgust me. Non-DMO, uh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, we had best salsa ever, <laughs> best chili ever. And we had um, Kerry stop by as well. And what did Kerry bring? Like these brownies, um... brownies and Oreo truffles. Ah, that's right. And the Oreo truffles, which you'll see in um, the photos, they look kind of like mellow puffs, but they're like deceptively like mellow puffy on the outside, and then they're like really fancy truffle stuff on the inside. Is that equivalent of vegan cocaine? 
<laughs> you heard it yourself. It's the equivalent of vegan cocaine. How good they are, and they give you such a high. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been the September potluck, and um, yeah, hope you'll join us sometime. Vegan cocaine and uh, Killboy Powerhead Korma. We sure do a lot of interesting things here with the Invercargill Vegan Society. One last story. Wellington group Speak Up for Animals protest against foie gras, and I always feel weird saying that because I always say it wrong every time. Foie gras, foie gras. A local restaurant which sells tinned duck liver. It's illegal to do this to ducks here in New Zealand, but apparently they can get around our laws by importing it. It's illegal to make, recognised as too cruel, <laughs> yet it's okay to import, which sounds a bit weird. Well, you can't do it here, but just do it over there somewhere. The group have a great campaign of putting vegan food sold here stickers around Wellington cafes and restaurants. So people walking down the sidewalk can have a look and they can see this vegan food sold here sticker before they go into the restaurant. They'll say, hey, that looks like a pretty cool place. I'm going to support them because they support we. We, the vegan community of Wellington. <laughs> it's a fantastic idea and we plan on doing something very similar here in Invercargill. In this news report, we see that their foie gras campaign is focused solely on banning the substance. I like calling it a substance. But the chef is interviewed and he mentions that they are vegan. He knows they are vegan. So in a weird way, veganism is brought up in the news report by the actual restaurant being protested. The owner mentions the people with signs outside of vegan. Ah, foie gras, the French delicacy made by force-feeding ducks or geese, has been banned in many parts of the world, most recently in California. And it's ruffling feathers here as well. Each weekend, activists protest outside one of Wellington's French restaurants, trying to force the restaurant to take foie gras off the menu. So. Is it a delicacy or a food that's harvested in a cruel and inhumane way? Rachel Tiffin has this report. As far as protests go, it wasn't the biggest, the loudest or the most aggressive, but the message was clear. Basically, protest against foie gras, which is the fatty disease liver of ducks and geese, and that's made by force feeding the animals. We believe it's cruel, that's why we're here, and it's really, we're here for the ducks and the geese. Here until Le Canard, that's French for duck, takes foie gras off the menu. It takes seconds. So what is foie gras? In English, fatty liver. A duck or goose's liver fattened to about 10 times its normal size by force-feeding grain through a tube down its throat. This is Pascal Bedel, the owner of Le Canard. So that's the foie that we received from France. We order it from a, a Kiwi um, company, that's, uh, and the brand is Rougier, mm -hmm. which is a, the most famous uh, brand in France. The company uses only a free-range duck, so they really know what they are doing. They used to do it since 200 years now. The protesters, a group named Speak Up for Animals, say free-range or not, it's inhumane. Geese and ducks do eat a certain amount of fatty foods in the wild before migrating, but they're force-fed so much that if they're allowed to just stay without eating at all, they don't eat for about 48 hours after being force-fed. But to Pascal and his family, foie gras is a delicacy, a tradition. Et voilà. As much a part of life as chocolat chaud. About 14,000 tonnes is produced from France each year, from boutique free-range operators and industrial factory farms. 
It's the factories getting slammed by celebrities. Here they are abused in ways that would be illegal if they were cats or dogs. That was Roger Moore, and here's Kate Winslet. This is a terrifying and painful process for the birds, who have no semblance of a normal life. The law on foie gras in New Zealand is murky. It's not spelt out as illegal to produce, but the Ministry of Primary Industries says force feeding would probably breach the Animal Welfare Act. And while fresh foie gras can't be imported, tinned foie gras can. So what do Wellingtonians think of it? Would you eat it yourself, sir? No. Because of the way it's made? Yes. Yep. I work with wildlife, birds specifically. Is it a tradition? It's a long-standing tradition. I'd yeah. still eat it, yeah, because, you know, like, there's a lot of traditions and stuff that's been passed down from hundreds of years, and, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Would you eat it, knowing how it's made? Yeah, probably, just to know what it tastes like. Patricia McLean had eaten foie gras before, but won't again. Oh, that's disgusting. Does that change, yeah. your, change your mind at all? Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Pascal's not the only one dishing it up in the capital or to face protests. There were dancers on the street, did a bit of graffiti on the, on the footpath. Um, the police got involved, but not directly with them. They say if they ever do any trouble, get back to us and we'll talk to them. So Pascal is just the latest target. We're doing something positive for a small, a particularly cruel practice. This is a particularly cruel practice for us, and we're focusing on this because it's local. It's something we can do something about. Like I you say, I respect some... those people, the Protestant no. people, the vegan, but I, I feel like it's at the moment they start to don't respect me a lot because world vegan, but I world vegan, but I world vegan, but I. Sounds like he's saying world vegan, world vegan, world vegan. World Vegan Day, 1st November, coming up, which you'll hear about soon. Shh. World Vegan, but I... World Vegan, but I... World Vegan, but I... They, they, they affect my business a bit, and uh, I mean, on a, on a recession, economic crisis, it's, it's, not, it's not cool. And now, he too is getting threats. Sorry old chap, Pascal's not going anywhere. New Zealand is home. But will he take foie gras off the menu? I don't know because at the end they've, they've got the... Uh, they are here every week and if that affects too much my, my restaurant, my business, I, I will take it off probably. But it's, it's a shame. Meaning his restaurant, named after and specialising in duck, might have to focus on le confit. This particular chef says he doesn't mind vegans, but what if there were a chef who actually wanted to be vegan? A non-vegan chef who is giving the vegan lifestyle a try. And so then that maybe one day the whole restaurant would be a vegan restaurant. Well, <laughs> maybe there is such a chef, Mr. Ben James of the Ralpo Cafe in Blenheim. And with me today, I have a chef who's decided to try out being vegan for a while, and I found out about him through the, the Southern Times and on the newspapers for, for his area, the Marlborough Times. And it was really cool to find out that we have an actual chef working in the restaurant industry who is interested in trying veganism. And how are you today, Ben? Yes, very, very well, thanks, Jordan. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you very much for being on. And what made you decide to try out being vegan for, for a month? 
basically, the, um, we're having a lot more uh, vegan clientele coming into the restaurant, and obviously, you know, they're requiring um, to be catered for, and, and not just receive a, a basic meal, but to receive something that's uh, nutritious. And um, I thought it would be great just to sort of put myself in, in their shoes and uh, sort of empathise with them and, and go through what they're feeling and, and, and their lifestyle. Did you, as someone working at the restaurant, did you sort of wonder where all these vegans keep coming from? <laughs> no, no, I think it's, um, it, we've sort of seen over the last sort of 10 years um, that there was a, a, a rise in a sort of different trends, if you like, um, moving through your gluten-free people and, and obviously vegetarianism is becoming more and more popular. Um, veganism is probably just, just a, you know, a, a natural follow-on from that. People are now concerned, uh, you know, where their food comes from and, and they want it to be produced um, ethically. Oh, that's as a vegan, that's great to hear, and it's great to hear that um, that we're making the demand, and it's great to see that the supply side is catering for us. <laughs> exactly. No, I, mean, I definitely encourage vegans to get out there and and don't don't be silent and and do uh, do do demand it. Um, you know, we uh, as chefs we we try to bend over backwards for gluten free people and. Um, and a lot of that is, is more of a, a diet of choice, really. Um, but, but veganism actually has something very solid behind it. And, and uh, just, I've only been vegan for three three weeks, but it's just uh, it's been a highlight of of, uh, of my uh, cuisine career, basically. Oh, that sounds that sounds a wonderful thing. Um, sounds like a wonderful like a, a a quote on a on a book or something. If you're selling a book, it's been the highlight <laughs> of my cuisine career. <laughs> Definitely, no, no, it is, and um, and just when you think that you've exhausted something, um, you, you, you know, um, I'm, I'm quite good friends with a uh, an Indian restaurateur locally, and and um, and just recently he's become vegan himself um, for health reasons, um, which is yeah, fantastic. How long had you known about veganism before? Like, did you just notice the vegan customers coming in, or did you know about veganism before that, or what? Um, I've been aware of veganism for sort of six or seven years. Um, I had some regular uh, Indian kosher clients um, who who were vegan and um, quite particular about the types of food they ate as well. So they introduced me to to the um, what it was, and it's but it's only recently that I've I've um, really taken it on board to further educate myself. Mm. So at your restaurant, there's a, a few of you trying out being vegan. How have you all found it out so far, being vegan for a while? Um, yes, um, there's myself and um, uh, our maitre d', um, uh, Diana Kovac. She's, uh, she's, she's from Hungary and, and has a strong meat upbringing, um, as do myself. And, uh, and she's finding it quite tough, but um, we're getting through it, through it well. And um, I'm sure we're making, making uh, quite a few carnivores jealous of the food that we're bringing in. <laughs> Um, how have the other chefs at the restaurant respected the challenge that you you decided after work one day? Uh, I understand. And how are the other chefs like? Do they like making vegan dishes for vegan customers? Um, it's it's a good point. I, I think from from here it just depends on the um on the knowledge and maturity of the, of the chef. Um, that there's there's a lot of um of sort of younger ignorant chefs out there that that um that aren't prepared to shift from the from the old ways of not catering for, for vegans. Um, but, but on the other side of, of the coin, there are there are um, there are a lot of a lot of chefs that, that are up, up and coming and really enthusiastic and, and passionate about um, you know that it's it's an interesting and and um, and challenging way of life. Mm. 
if customer demand were there, could you enjoy working in an all-vegan restaurant? Certainly, yes, definitely. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's. Um, uh, I, I spent three years working in Melbourne as a chef, and um, and there's there's quite a high vegan population there. Um, so, so every now and again, we, uh, my wife and I, used to enjoy um, a good vegan meal out somewhere, and uh, and yeah, no, we really enjoy it. <laughs> so, if there are any other um, at the moment non-vegan chefs listening in. Uh, do you have any great vegan recipes that you could share for them that would be easy, quick things to knock up, like if they just have a, a non-vegan, regular New Zealand restaurant and some annoying vegan comes up and says, hello, can you make a vegan meal for me? Uh, what, what would be a great recipe you could share with them that they could quickly make? Oh, it, gosh, there's so many possibilities. Um, I, I mean, uh, we, we should start. Well, it, <laughs> just because someone's vegan doesn't mean that they don't like flavour or taste. Um, it's quite the opposite. The, the, the vegans that that, um, that I know are quite good cooks. So it's actually quite a challenge for the chef if, if they were to look at it from that side of the coin that this person is educated on food and nutrition and, and they want something that's made free of animal product. It's not um, it's not rocket science. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's, you know, that's why we dress up every day in our white jacket and, and go to work. As far as a recipe goes, it sort of it depends of um, of what what they have on their on their own menus. But um, just a simple thing like um, when the chefs are preparing couscous, if instead of using butter they use olive oil or something like that, then that that way it gives them um, you, you know it gives them uh, the starch or protein to use as a base ingredient, um, and then just some fresh you know lots of fresh veggies and, and a nice um, a pasta sauce, uh, tomato sauce or something like that that generally most most kitchens should have around but just making um, considerate choices when, when uh, preparing the meals like not adding the cheese until the last minute so that, that it is it is vegan up until that point um, and and you know just just leaving the butter off to the side and, and you know replacing it with a you know good quality olive oil or or, um, or, or something else mm. I've got a question from a listener. My friend Tua asked if um, if you'd ever feel confident to be a sort of New Zealand version of the celebrity chef Tal Runan. Would you ever feel confident showing others how to cook vegan food on a on a cooking show or something? Like you've been you've been doing all these interviews and, and newspaper releases quite well. Would you ever feel confident showing others how to cook? Yeah, gosh. Um, it, it, in a small town like Blenheim, it's uh, it's been quite easy to to get in the the media, and sort of that that wasn't the motivation behind the um, behind you know trying out veganism. But um, it, I, I would certainly like to to show or, or, or um, educate the younger younger chefs coming through that that um, you know on what veganism is. Um, so to be sort of an advocate on on. Um, on becoming a vegan, yeah, I, I could um, sort of, you know, um, cope with that. I do have to be quite careful though, because um, you, you know, obviously, 99.9% of chefs out there are probably uh, are probably ravaging meat eaters, so um, it's it's quite hard, and I think it's going to be a slow process. But but I do see a light at the end of the tunnel where um, where chefs are, are going to be more. Um, sympathetic to, to vegans' views, and, um, and and hopefully over time more uh, more chefs will, will give it a go. Okay, and um, for the for the people that you know who have been trying out veganism, do you think most of them intend to stay vegan, or have they found it difficult, or have they learned more things about themselves and just finding out new recipes and things? Are they quite enjoying it and intend to keep going? It, it's definitely. Um, um, uh, my good friend um, uh, Miss Kovac from, from work. She, she's uh, she's made a, a beautiful Hungarian goulash, which is completely vegan, and it's um, it's just just beautiful. So she's um, yes, yeah, uh, 
she's taking that home to Hungary next year to, to cook for her family. And, and um, I mean, if, if you can make a Hungarian goulash um, um, vegan, then, then you know, you're, you're well on the track to, to preparing some good food. Well, if she's, um, if she's already made it and she's taking it back next year, maybe she needs some pretty damn good preservatives to put in there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, she, she's got it all up top. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for your time today, Ben. Yeah, no, thanks, Jordan. Thanks for having me. And thank you for your great blog, which we can all find at whatisavegan.blogspot.com. It's been really great to follow along. Thanks, Jordan. I look forward to seeing um, seeing any vegan customers at Ed, uh, Rappo Cafe in Blenheim, Marlborough. How absolutely fantastic to hear that a group of non-vegan chefs were going to give veganism a real go, not just as a diet, but in what they wore too, what they did, what they could do to have a vegan lifestyle, not just a vegan diet, but a vegan lifestyle. They're still preparing and selling non-vegan orders at the restaurant, but as Ben said, he'd have no problem working in an all-vegan restaurant, which is great to hear, if demand is there. So now, as vegans, it's our goal to increase demand, so that Ben can perhaps run an all-vegan restaurant. And veganism is growing, apparently in Blenheim, the top of the South Island, where I hope Chef Ben will continue being vegan along with his friends, and here, in Invercargill, at the bottom of the South Island. At the last Green Drinks meeting, discussing environmental politics, renewable energy, and why the devil I was expected to pay $5 for a single glass of lemon lime and bitters at the non-veganly named Zookeepers Cafe, when I could walk a few couple hundred metres maybe, to pack and save supermarket and buy a four pack of the same exact product for the same $5 price, it turned out there was another vegan there. And not just my friend Dan, who visited with her friend Emily, who attended our last potluck, no, there was Jordan, Dan, and a local nutritionist who saw the Invisoc poster Dan had put up at our hospital about a year ago. An A4 bit of paper that had been stuck to the cafeteria wall for over a year. Dan is a nurse, and she asked one day about taking one of our posters along and putting it up, and I thought it was a great idea. I mean, Dan's the first vegan I ever met, and the only reason I ever met Dan was because she has a bumper sticker saying vegan on her car. So now we learn the value of having a little piece of paper, a little plastic sticker, on your car. I mean, it costs very little to, to put it up there or put it out there. And someone will read it and they'll learn about veganism and be able to meet up with you. Luke saw the poster, looked up our website, www.invsoc.org.nz, and came along to the Green Drinks meeting advertised on our events page. It was incredible to meet him. Another vegan who found out about our group and who came along to meet me at Green Drinks. You'll never know where you'll run into veganism, be it Go Vegan on the side of a Figwit Lives sign at a movie premiere, in a local pub quiz where the all-vegan team vegetators clean up and win the whole thing, vegans mentioned by a protested restaurant owner on the news, or in the Ralpo Cafe where Chef Ben James is trying out the vegan lifestyle. May we live in interesting times. This Saturday, Invercargill is having another spring eco-festival. I attended last year a one-man stall for the Invercargill Vegan Society, giving away Boston Vegan Association pamphlets, Inversock business cards, uh, Invercargill Vegan Society badges, uh, and, how could I forget, vegan chocolate cake. You can see photos of the Eco Festival 2011 stall on the Invisoc website on the events page. 
www.invsoc.org.nz. This year, hopefully other vegans will stop by and answer any questions about veganism. Festival goers demand be answered. I'll have plenty more baking, muffins this time, banana chocolate chip, lemon and maybe chocolate, just to cover all the bases, the three basic components of human taste, banana, lemon, chocolate. I'll cover the eco-festival next episode, and uh, the episode after that? Well, World Vegan Day is coming up mighty quick, the 1st of November, less than a month away. Invisoc has a whole bunch of plans for the big day, the holiest global holiday of veganism, which is actually secular, but never mind, it's a day worth worshipping all the same. I'm planning another World Vegan Day episode, featuring clips of vegans from around the world, telling us about things in their area. Episode 67 was very popular, last year the World Vegan Day special featured over 30 vegans. Sure beats just hearing my voice drone on and on for 50 odd minutes. If you'd like to be included in the World Vegan Day 2012 episode, please send me a clip. I can include an audio clip, or I could play back the audio from a video clip. The best way to get in touch with your clip would be through Facebook, through the Coexisting with Non-Human Animals Facebook page, or you can email it to me directly, info at invsoc.org.nz, info, I-N-F-O, at invsoc.org.nz. I plan on releasing the World Vegan Day 2012 episode late on the 1st of November, New Zealand time. We'll hold our festivities here, and then I hope to finish off the episode that night, to have it ready for the rest of the world, as you guys catch up and celebrate your World Vegan Day, which will actually be on the 2nd of November in my time, New Zealand time. So, that means we get to celebrate World Vegan Day here in Invercargill and have a great time, and on Facebook we see all the other Invercargill, and, all the other Invercargill, all the rest of New Zealand celebrated World Vegan Day, and then we go to sleep and we wake up and, oh well, the whole rest of the world's having World Vegan Day tomorrow, this is awesome, and that means we kind of get two days worth of World Vegan Day, we get it our time, and Australia's time, and then we get it on the rest of the world's time, the next day, two days of World Vegan Day. I'd love to include as many 30 seconds to a couple minute long clips as possible. The main topics of your clip might be how 2012 has been for you as a vegan, what you plan to do on World Vegan Day 2012 to celebrate, i.e. having a potluck with your friends, or ringing into local radio stations and talking to the board host about veganism until she hangs up on you, or maybe you'll enter a school fundraising quiz and you'll win and you'll be a real jerk and tell everyone else that they're a bunch of losers and that they should go vegan, or maybe you'll go to a movie premiere with a sign saying go vegan, or maybe you'll write letters to the newspaper in your area, if there's still a newsletter, newspaper. Um, or maybe you'll just celebrate World Vegan Day by wearing matching socks for a change. <laughs> it's up to you. But make it a special day, World Vegan Day, 1st of November. What have been some of the highlights for 2012 for you? Has there been any particular news coverage which you've really loved? And... How do you see veganism going forward in 2013? Will this be the year that the world magically goes vegan overnight? We'll soon see. I'd love to include you on the super special World Vegan Day 2012 episode. Thank you for listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. 
You can find the script for this episode, as well as downloads for every episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals at www.coexisting.co.nz. You'll also find all the show links from this episode, all the links to the blog posts and videos and audio files and news clips and videos taken at the red carpet event. If you'd like to contact me, I would love to hear from you. Please send me an email to info at invsoc.org.nz. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter, Jordan Wyatt, J-O-R-D-A-N-W-Y-A-T-T. And please, like our groups, the Invercargill Vegan Society, and Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. I'll end with a Flight of the Concord song about what's going on in the world, sort of Marvin Gaye style. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Away from the notion of animals as things and toward the moral personhood of animals. The choice is ours. If you're not vegan, go vegan. It's easy. It's better for you. It's certainly better for the planet. And most importantly, it's the morally right thing to do. Children on the street using guns and knives, taking drugs on each other's lives, killing each other with knives and forks, calling each other names like dog. There's people on the street get diseases from monkeys. Yeah, that's what I said, they get diseases from monkeys Now there's junkies with monkey disease Who's touching these monkeys? Please leave these poor sick monkeys alone They got problems enough as it is Man is lying on the street Some punk's chopped off his head I'm the only one who stops
Okay, how could I end an episode with a Flight of the Concord song and not include the official New Zealand national anthem? It's business time in Invercargill, baby. Oh yeah, girl. Tonight we're gonna make love. You know how I know? Because it's Wednesday. And it actually is Wednesday night that I'm recording. 10, 10 p.m. Wednesday night, New Zealand time. Usually go to your mother's place and I teach her how to use the video machine again. But Wednesday night is the night that we're making love. When everything is just right. You're not too tired from your after work social netball team practice. There's nothing good on TV. Mmm, conditions are perfect for making love. You turn to me and say something sexy like, I might go to bed after work in the morning. I know what you're trying to say, baby. You're trying to say, oh yeah, it's business time. Recycling, which isn't part of the foreplay, but it's still very important. Next thing you know, we're in the bedroom. You're wearing that same old ugly baggy t-shirt with the stain on it that you got from that team building exercise you did for your old work several years ago. Team building exercise 99. I take off my clothes, but I chip over my jeans. Cause I still wear my shoes, but it's okay Cause I turn it all into a sexy dance Next thing you know, I'm wearing absolutely nothing Except for my socks And you know when I'm down to just my socks What time it is It's business time something sexy like is that it i know what you're trying to say girl you're trying to say oh yeah that's it and you tell me you want some more well uh i'm not surprised but i am quite sleepy 